Amen. As our kids and kids volunteers are making their way, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 8. So the eighth psalm in the collection of psalms. Um, we are beginning tonight what has become a, a Grace Fellowship tradition, and that is something that we call um, a summer in the psalms. Um, so throughout our church's history, um, for the summer months, we explore some of the biblical psalms together. It's been a rich and rewarding way to spend our time, and tonight we commence on that. Um, this summer in particular, we're going to be looking at what some psalm scholars call the psalms of creation. So it's a major theme in the psalms that, that God is celebrated for the works that he's made in creation. The fact that he has made the sky and the stars the oceans, the tides, the mountains, and even animals and, and people. Um, the fact that God has made all those things has always been a deep comfort to his people. The same God who watches those things watches over us. And we're going to be exploring these things together. I'm excited about it. Um, before we read um, from the Psalms, um, I'm going to make a quick pastoral announcement. Okay? So um, we've let you guys know uh, about the opportunity to partner with a program at a local elementary school called the RISE program. And basically, Grace Fellowship has been given an opportunity to serve a local elementary school by either bringing breakfast or tutoring. And uh, we have the opportunity to do that again this summer. And I just wanted to say a couple of brief words about um, what the Lord has done through that program um, as Grace Fellowship has been involved with it over the years. Um, it, it's an opportunity to, to simply bless um, um, people in our community. Um, when we were first beginning as a church family almost seven years ago, we were looking for a practical way to be a blessing in our community. And through um, a relationship with somebody at Grace Fellowship, we came across the opportunity to help with this summer enrichment program. So it's been a, a practical way we've tried to bless our community. But um, through doing it, the Lord has really given us as a church family the opportunity to build a lot of relationships with some of the students and their families that we have a chance to serve. Um, some of the same families that we serve through the RISE program in the summer are the same families we serve um, through the Advent food drive that happens in, in the winter. So it's been a, a great relationship-building effort. And, and then finally, the Lord has really used those relationships um, really to lead to a lot of good opportunities that I can speak personally that I've had um, to really just share the good news of Jesus in practical ways um, through those relationships. So it's just a really worthwhile effort. And um, I'm saying all this to say that we could definitely use folks to volunteer. So um, you can find Laurel. She's right here to my right. But she'll um, connect with you further if you want to find out how you could either bring a breakfast um, or tutor. And it's not like you're signing up to tutor for the whole summer. Um, that would be a big ask. Um, now, you're welcome to do that if you have the availability. But you have different spots that you can pick to do some tutoring. So uh, I want to encourage you to participate in our program um, with RISE. All right, in addition to Psalm 8, um, uh, we'll also be reading from the Gospel of Matthew. It's our custom in, at Grace to read from the different testaments um, for the preaching of God's Word. So um, I'll begin with Psalm 8. Laura will follow with a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Listen to these words, Psalm 8. To the choir master, according to the Githith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Tonight's New Testament reading comes from Matthew 21, verses 14 through 16. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, Have you never read, out of the mouths of infant and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask in these moments that you, Lord, would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you make these words in your word come alive? Lord, would you shine light on them? Lord, would you shine light on the places in our hearts where light needs to be shown? Or would you be so kind to make these words useful? Would you be so kind to get, use them to give us great hope tonight in our Lord Jesus? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So, um, the very first thought I had, the very first feeling I felt was just an unbelievable, deep frustration. See, I was a young man in my early 20s. I was deep in the heart of Texas. I was probably three, three and a half hours from the nearest small town. I was probably in the most remote place that had ever been in my life. And I remember feeling so frustrated because when I looked up at the stars in the sky, I had never seen anything like it. It was one of those moments where the sky, I wonder if you've seen a sky like this, the sky was actually more white then the sky was black. That's how many stars there were. You you saw more stars than you saw sky. The sky was more 
white than it actually was black. And the very first thing I felt and sensed was deep frustration because I was like, how come no one ever told me there were this many stars in the sky? See, I had been places at that point where I I felt that I was far away from anything. But in this case, I was so remote that I had never seen a sky like that. I remember feeling this sense of no one ever told me. Now, now the second thing I thought and felt was a deep sense of wonder. If you've ever been somewhere like that and, and seen something like that, you're kind of struck with just wonder, that deep sense of just... The beauty and glory of God in creation can take your breath away. Now, the next thing that I felt was a deep sense of comfort. See, because the Bible would lead us to believe that the same God who lit the stars knows us and our situation. And then the fourth thing that I felt, so if the first one was no one ever told me, if the second one was, was wonder and awe, if the third thing was a sense of comfort, the final thing that I felt was just the question, what am I doing with my life? See, it's a universal human experience that when we come up against sort of the wonder of God in creation, it puts our life in a kind of perspective. We begin to ask ourselves, okay, where do we actually fit in the grand scheme of things? I wonder if you've had an experience like that. And if you have, if you've ever seen the night sky and was filled with wonder, if you've ever had that sense of comfort in knowing that the God of the universe knows you, and if it's ever made you just simply ask the question, what am I doing with my life? The psalmist David in Psalm 8 wants to help. So he looks at the sky and he feels a sense of wonder. He's comforted in knowing that the one who lit the stars knows him, knows what he needs. And then finally, he helps us with the question of our life and what we're supposed to be doing with it. See, Psalm 8 is a psalm about God, and it's a psalm about what it means to be human. So we're going to take a look at it just one line at a time here. And so the way I want us to go through Psalm 8 together is one line at a time. I'm just going to make some comments on the words, the images, sort of what the psalmist David is trying to get across. And then I want to just talk a little bit about you and me, the kind of meaninglessness that sometimes we feel. We go about our business every day, and sometimes you just ask the question, isn't there something more? Surely there's something more. I want to talk a little bit about the sense of weakness that we feel. And then finally, we're going to talk about Jesus and what he promises, what he offers, and what he's done. So as we make our way through this Psalm 8, um, there's really a main thing that I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else I'll say, this is the main thing. 
It's this precious idea that the God of the universe, the one who lit the sky, is mindful of you and me. And then, and then secondly, as part of that, perhaps, is that this God who lit the sky, he wins through our, even our weaknesses. He's mindful of us and he wins victory over his enemies. He rules the world through our weaknesses. So let's take a look together here at Psalm 8. Let's look at verse 1. O Lord, um, our Lord. The word here is O Lord. It's, it's God's proper name. It, the psalmist is literally saying, O Yahweh, the proper name of God. O Yahweh, our Lord, our master. And then David says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So the psalmist is, is looking perhaps or thinking perhaps of a beautiful night sky and he's just overtook that the God who lit the stars is the, is the God who's entered into a relationship with his people and this God has made his might and strength known in the sky. But then there's something even more strange. He also makes his strength known, according to the psalmist, through baby noises. Look at verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. See, in the Psalms, every now and then you'll get this sense that God has enemies. Now, his people certainly has enemies, but even God, um, as he rules the world, there are these rival deities kind of vying for his people's attention all the time. And these enemies, God wants to silence, and everything that he does, he wants to quiet their mouths. But the one who lit the stars, who could get rid of his enemies and shut their mouths any way that he wants... He decides he wants to shut their mouths. He wants to defeat his enemies, and he wants to do it, do it through the sound of babies. I mean, it's the psalmist's way of communicating to us that our God loves to rule the world through weak things. Now, I don't know if you ever have. I know some of you have, but if you've ever been around a baby making noises, a screaming baby making noises, your, your first thought probably is not. Look at the battle in the universe God is doing through their noises. You're probably not thinking that. But you should be, according to Psalm 8. That as babies cry their cries and make their noises, as helpless and as weak as they are, that God has used those very noises somehow to put to shame enemies. See, guys, see the psalmist is thinking of um, you know, babies within the covenant people of God who are, who are loved and cared for and taken care of. These little babies, these helpless little babies are signs and symbols of God's perfect rule and care. The next time your baby is screeching and making noises, it should convert itself into kind of a worship experience for you because God's enemies are being defeated. It's kind of a wild thing. The idea is God uses weak things to rule his world. 
And he goes on from here in verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Psalmist's attention is taken back into the skies again. And when this image of the work of, of, of the fingers, what this probably has to do with is just the, the way that the stars are kind of linked together in constellations is almost like the artwork of God having put them all into place in a beautiful way. The psalmist is saying, when I look at the stars and I see the intricate finger work of God to make such a beautiful thing, I can't help but ask myself the question, who are we? What are we doing here? What use does God have for us? How is it that God is mindful of people, that he's thinking of them? So one of the precious truths that the Bible gets across is that this God who made everything notices you. Just like his, his fingers intricately, intricately put the stars into place, In the same way his love and his grace intricately is at work in the circumstances of your life to take notice of you. He's mindful of you. He says that the son of man that you care for him. This word care is actually literally you visit him or her. God visits his people to take care of them. You know, the song that our children sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If I had to rewrite that song, there's nothing wrong with it, by the way, on the basis of Psalm 8, it would go something like this. Jesus loves me, this I know, the created order and the Bible tells me so. See, Jesus picks up this very idea. Look at the birds. Look how they're so well taken care of. The same God who takes care of the birds is mindful of you. Look at the flowers. Look how beautiful they are. The same God who's mindful of the flowers, who notices the flowers, he's mindful to take care of you. But this mindfulness extends beyond just caring for you and me. It it, it goes a bit deeper. See, not only does God care for you and me, that's one way he's mindful, But he also invites you and I to be participants in his world. Look at where it goes from verse 5. Yet you have made him, this is humankind everywhere, men and women, you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. The psalmist is remembering God's words from Genesis chapter 1. See, in Genesis chapter 1, men and women are made in the image of God, which means of all the things that God has made, men and women are uniquely capable they're uniquely capable of putting his, God's glory on display um, in, a, in a way that's different than every other created thing. And, and that's because God gave, gave 
human persons, men and women made in his image, dominion over the world that he's made. And when when the psalmist rattles off that the the sheep and the ox and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever whatever passes along the paths of the sea, he's he's kind of basically tracing back the days of creation. All the things that God has made, he has invited people to participate in the world. So he's mindful of us in the sense that he cares about us, but he's also mindful of us in the sense that he wants to invite us into the work that he has done and is doing. Y'all, y'all sometimes when I have work to do at my house, sometimes when I have work to do at my house, now not all the time, but sometimes when I have work to do at my house, I'll find one of my children and I'll say, hey buddy, or, or hey sweetheart, um, can you come and help me? It, it's like a universal human instinct to invite your children into the work you're called to do. Now, now I say I ask them to help me because I don't, they don't really, they're not always that helpful. I don't necessarily need them. But it's just a deep fatherly instinct to want them to share and participate. See, apparently that instinct also just lives deeply in the heart of God. Now, my kids will also come to me and say, Dad, can I help you? It's it's almost like a universal child's instinct to want to be helpful, to participate. See, see, God wants to share his life with the human persons that he's made by inviting them into the work that he's doing. Now, what becomes even more beautiful is in this calling to have dominion, see, this Lord will, will breathe the life of his spirit into human persons. Making, making them actually able to fulfill this calling and to, to really be helpful. I mean, my young children used to not be able to actually mow the grass. But God's people, when empowered by His Spirit, actually participate redemptively in the world. Think of it like this. This calling to have dominion over the world that God has made and for God to invite us into this work. Think about it like this. All the things that you're called to do, when you do those things, mindful of God, empowered by his spirit, whether that's the most mundane things to the most what you would think to be important things, when you're aware of God, and and really, honestly, you're mindful of God's enemies, you're vigilant, you're watchful, The Bible says that when we're doing that, we're doing the things that we are called to do. We are participating in the world that God has made. However weak we feel in it, however inadequate we feel in it. And finally, the psalm ends in verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It matches exactly verse 1. It's the way of, of... bookending this psalm with this idea that God's greatness is unrivaled, but is particularly unrivaled in the fact that he uses weak, frail human creatures as he rules his world.
That's soulmate. So what, Joel? Briefly, I want to encourage you really in two ways before I talk to you about how Jesus fulfills this ancient poem. Just, just two quick words of application. First of all, I know that there are people who are in this room this afternoon who feel in a particularly deep way just a sense of aimlessness, meaninglessness. The same thought that the psalmist has in Psalm 8. What, what is, man, that you're, you're mindful of me? You've had the thought that looks something more like, what exactly am I doing with my life? You're not sure if the things you spend your time doing day after day after day, you're not sure that it means anything, that it's worth anything, that it's enough of whatever it is you're supposed to be. I want to encourage you with just a kind of a simple thing. Um, take, a, take a deep breath right now. Literally, everybody take a deep breath on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. And let it out. See, you're alive. There's breath in your lungs, and if you are a Christian, God's spirit is dwelling inside of you. Your life, because you're alive, is charged with meaning. From the simplest household errand to the hardest, most complex work project, to the stroll around the neighborhood, to the preparing dinner, to the writing of the essay, to the teaching of the class, to everything else in between, both small and and big. You have breath in your lungs. The God of the universe is mindful of you. Your life is charged with meaning. I think Psalm 8 is supposed to look at you who struggles with a sense of aimlessness and meaninglessness and just simply say to you, be encouraged. And and here's a second word of application. See, Psalm 8 at least tells us in part that God runs his world through weak things. And, And you might be here this afternoon and you just feel particularly weak your finitude, your, your, your finiteness just has you deeply discouraged. You, you go about your day doing the things that you're doing, but you just sort of feel bad at it. You're not good at it, or at least you think so. You, you wish you were more fill in whatever blank. I think what David would want you to hear from Psalm 8 is, See, it's it's God's way in this world. It's his way in this world to use weak things for his glory. And which is another way of saying that he can use you. Finally, let's speak for a couple minutes about how Psalm 8 becomes a sign that points us to the full person and work of Jesus. 
see these ideas from Psalm 8 begin to travel their way throughout the pages of the scriptures from this point forward and make their way to the revelation of the person and work of Jesus. And, and here's at least some of what Christ shows us. First of all, we learn that the same, the same one who lit the stars, the same one who lit the stars became subject to human weakness. That he took up flesh and he, he dwelt among us. That he speaks and calls disciples, we learn in the gospel stories, other frail and weak persons. See, it's, it's, it's exactly on purpose that the disciples are, are weak and uneducated fishermen. They're nothing to write home about. They're, they're, they're weak people, but it's those people that Christ calls to follow him. When he preaches Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, there's one line that he says, that he says that those who are meek will inherit the earth. In other words, those who, who are humble, who don't feel like they're particularly or, or, or strong, those are the exact ones that he uses in his work. See, this is the same Jesus. He goes to the cross. And on his way to the cross, mostly the poor and downtrodden and outcasts follow him. And they begin to cry, Hosanna, Hosanna. And it's Psalm 8 that Jesus has on his lips when he responds to his critics. It's the same Jesus who goes to the cross. And what looks like weakness is being used by God to crush the power of darkness. See, because God uses what seems to be weak in order to win victory in the world. It's Jesus' cross and then his resurrection. When he's exalted, he ascends to the right hand of God the Father Almighty and he will one day return to make things new and right. And in the in-between, he commissions disciples filled by his spirit to be his witnesses. See, in other words, Christ takes these ideas and in his fullness he reminds us and proves to us that the same one who lit the stars is mindful of you and me then he knows us he knows our need he's invited us to be sharers of his very life feeling weak feeling aimless take heart let's pray Lord, we do not come tonight to this table on account of our own righteousness. As we prepare to celebrate here, we're mindful that we are weak human creatures. Lord, but you are the one who is ever mindful of us.